Hey there all you cool cats and kittens and welcome back to another episode of Best in Sass, where each week we take you behind the scenes for conversations with some of Silicon Valley's best and brightest operators and investors. Crack a beer, get comfortable, and join us on our quest to find the patterns and playbooks that accelerate the sprint to 10 million of that good stuff, that repeatable stuff, that stuff we call ARR. All right. Uh, so today I'm super excited to have the opportunity to speak with another brilliant guest who leads a company that specializes in B2B marketing and sales acceleration. Um, he's also a nationally recognized author, award-winning blogger. He speaks a ton. He's the president and founder of Heinz Marketing. Um, and Matt Heinz, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Oh man, thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to get right into it, I mean, the whole purpose of this, what everyone's here to listen for is is really looking for these patterns and playbooks that you've seen in your 20-year career across marketing, business development, and sales, um, really as a thought leader across all of those different spaces, looking for those patterns and playbooks that help a company go from, let's say, one to two million in ARR, they've got that initial product market fit all the way to the 10 million ARR milestone and beyond. Uh, and, and because of the way the world is today, I thought it would be really helpful for our listeners to focus in more specifically on those tried and true playbooks that you come back to when you don't have a ton of budget or when, mm -hmm. when you need to lean out a little bit. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd just love to hear kind of your take on that. Sure. Um, well, I think, you know, any company as they're getting started is trying to, you know, figure out their way. I mean, there's no playbook that exists for any business. Just like, you know, I think you can't apply, you can't read a book and say, that's exactly the program I'm putting in place for our business. Every one of our businesses is different. Right? We're different in terms of our audience. We're different in terms of our industry. We're different in terms of our internal makeup and culture and people. And um, so I think you have to, you have to account for those differences. That said, I think as companies grow, as they figure out, you know, things as they, as they, as they're reactive, as they're doing sprints, as they're doing like just crazy agility, just trying to get things out to the market and see what works. Eventually you have to convert those random acts of sales and marketing into something that's a little more system systemic. So, you know, thinking about how do we take what we're doing and what's working and replicate that on a more regular basis to create more predictable results. Um, and we're seeing as companies grow, those that adopt that sort of predictable mentality of thinking about who's my audience and why, how do I go to market and why, how does sales and marketing operationalize their work together on a daily and weekly basis. Um, there's a set of foundational elements that really help those companies not only sort of organize and make more efficient the work they're doing, but create better accountability and predictability of sales and marketing efforts moving forward. So in a way, it almost sounds like the, the orchestration piece is, you know, now more than ever something to come in and focus on. Why do you why do you think that is? Why does that really move the needle? Well, I, I think it's the foundation for better execution. I mean, it always feels good to say, well, let's just write an email and get it out there. Let's just execute. Let's just ship. And clearly execution is where things actually get done. 
But, you know, as we over time have identified sort of seven key areas of focus for companies that want to develop predictable pipeline, the first four of seven, like the majority of it is what we call plan and understand. It's it's making sure you understand who are we selling to and why? Who are the companies that we should be approaching based on what characteristic and attributes of those organizations that care about us? And because buildings don't write checks, people do. We now have to understand who are the members of the buying committee inside the organization and what do they care about? And I think a lot of companies Companies probably feel like they have that, but if it's not written down, if it's not documented, then I guarantee it is being applied inconsistently across the organization. So this doesn't mean you have to go spend months and you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to figure this out. My guess is a lot of companies that have been doing this at least for a little while have institutional knowledge that can tell them what some of those answers should be. Who should we be selling to and why? How do we talk best to early stage prospects? How should we orchestrate the right message to the right person across multiple channels? The fundamentals of how to do that probably exist in your organization, getting that to a point where everyone agrees and then operationalizing that so it's implemented consistently every Tuesday, every day, every week. That's, you know, there's work that goes into that, but it can unlock your ability to be more creative and more agile with more of your execution moving forward. That makes perfect sense. So let's assume that I'm one of our CEOs who's listening. I'm maybe halfway through my series A as far as my, my burn is concerned and, and runway. And I was growing at all costs, building up the sales team, building out the marketing team. And now I got a call from you know, my investors and they said, Hey, lean it out, go into survival mode. Um, in theory, I already am pretty clear and crisp on my personas and, and who's actually buying and why they're buying. If I've made it to this point, maybe not, but let's assume that I am. How would you coach this CEO who's listening to think about their sales and marketing spend and how to balance that in a time like this? Well, I think in a time like this, focusing on internal process improvement can really provide a strong, in many cases, fairly quick ROI. Um, you know, let's take the concept of sales and marketing alignment that a lot of people talk about. Well, unfortunately, a lot of companies sort of just use that as a strategic play. They'll get in front of this team at sales kickoff and sales and marketing will say, like, we agree. And marketing says, we are here to support you and we are going to be revenue responsible. And that sounds great until you don't really know what to do on Tuesday. Like what, you know, marketing generates a lead. What does sales do and why? What are they saying and why? So the just so one lead versus another based on what they're interested in, right? And so there's all kinds of sort of if-then statements that if you can improve that interchange between sales and marketing, how they're interacting with leads, if you can improve the consistency of what leads see and what a target accounts see from you, you can pretty dramatically and consistently increase velocity with the deals you already have. So if you're hunkering down and spending less, maybe that cuts out some of your media spend. But if you, even if you've only been doing business for a little while, you already have leads, you already have opportunities, you already have deals and leads in motion. What can you do to increase the precision and consistency of how you engage with those leads to maximize your ROI and conversion from what you already have? So one of the things I love digging into with guests is sometimes you can almost learn more from mistakes and hearing stories about mistakes that have been made than someone saying, here's how to do it. I'd love to hear kind of as you get into, you must have maybe, maybe it's thousands of companies you've worked with at this point across your entire career, but what are some of the most common mistakes that you're seeing in these 
internal processes, collaboration, and kind of these areas where you see companies that should really be focusing right now? What, what are some of those like you roll your eyes and laugh and it's not that they're doing anything wrong maliciously. It's just a common mistake that you see over and over. Um, the one that always comes to mind just because it, it people think it's kind of draconian, but is so, so important is the, the, the assumption that institutional knowledge is consistency, right? The assumption that, you know, we all no we all agree. And, you know, if, if I ask someone sort of what's your ideal target customer profile, you know, can you show it to me? And they'll say, well, let me just describe it to you. So, so that's, if it's not written down, like, and if I go and ask that question to the head of sales versus your SDR versus your demand gen person, there will be differences, right? And, and those differences create inefficiencies and um, inconsistency in the type of leads you generate. It creates inconsistencies in whether the sales team is willing to follow up with those leads. And so getting it down on paper doesn't constrict your opportunity. It actually accelerates it. So, you know, just taking the time, get into a room, get on a whiteboard. If there are disagreements or if you have different ideas about things, either resolve it or resolve to test it, you know, to say, listen, we don't know if A, B or C is the right target account profile, but let's do some A, B, C testing to see which one gives us the best throughput and use empirical evidence to decide what what the best option is moving forward. So, I, you know, so again, a different way of saying that is, you know, operationalizing and documenting the way you want to manage your pipeline is critically important. It doesn't mean you have to follow it every step of the way. I think the challenger sale in particular does a really nice job of outlining a consistent way of going about engaging your prospects. But like the last third of the book talks about how important it is to be creative in the sales process, to be creative and unique with your approach to unique businesses. But if you purely are, if you all you're doing is just making it up as you go and not doing that from a basis of a foundation of understanding who your best customers are and how to talk to them, you aren't going to get the most ROI and the best results out of your efforts. So across your career, I mean, you've worked with companies ranging from Amazon to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'd love to hear, you know, walk us through some of the most interesting campaigns that you've ever run and and why they ended up being so interesting oh man i mean there's there's been so many different things i mean i think i think some of the most interesting are those that uh t- sometimes are a little bit old school i I'll, I'll always go back to we worked with a company that was selling admissions management software to um private secondary schools and so one of their primary targets was the admissions director for, you know, like a private Catholic high school, for example. And when we came up with a profile for this audience, we actually found that, you know, it was the, the, the profile of an admissions director is very similar to a realtor. You know, the average is a 55 year old woman um, who's been doing this for a while. Um, so we came up with this and the company's based, you know, the company was based up here in Seattle. They were acquired a couple years ago, but you know, when they were, you know, getting going, they, we put together this, you know, you know, homemade in Seattle, um, stress reliever kit. And so right in the heart of admission season, when we know they weren't going to take a meeting, like they were just busy dealing with the paperwork they had. We did a little kit that was like, it was a jar and it had like, you know, some Starbucks coffee and some smoked salmon and just, just some, it's just some fun stuff just meant to be kind of comfort food, comfort stuff. And just said, listen, we know things are crazy right now. We know your, your, your desk is probably stacked with, you know, unorganized paper, you know, hopefully this gets through it. Give us a call after where we may have a better way. And, I think the response rate on that, not in terms of pipeline creation, but I think of the units we sent out, I think we got like 70% of them 
to take a meeting with sales afterward. Um, wow. Not because we offered them a webinar or white paper, just because we, um, we were thoughtful in the right moment, right? And it had something land at the right time. And, and I, I use that example not only because it was just unique and it wasn't the most efficient. I, I'll still remember our conference table, just it was assembly line of putting these things together like we, just, <laughs> we did it ourselves. Um, but also because it wasn't like, it was, yeah. so I, a lot of companies we see that are doing target account marketing want it to be as efficient as possible. This was not an efficient, program like you know we did not really have a we we're we're marketers we don't know how to do an assembly line stuffing uh jars but it worked and it was different and we weren't focused and the client was okay with this they weren't focused on getting the immediate meeting this wasn't focused on getting someone into a demo tomorrow it was taking a little bit of the long game knowing that sometimes three steps is better and faster than one to get to where you want to go so you know did that campaign generate pipeline immediately no did it generate pipeline over the next three to four months Oh yeah, it did. Wow. So, I mean, I think that's a really clear lesson for, for all of the CEOs and VPs of marketing and heads of sales out there who are listening in that sometimes coming back to the basics and really thinking about the person uh, and, and almost, I mean, it seems that so many companies are looking for immediate gratification with demand gen or, or whatever, you know, however they want to categorize it, but to, have that level of foresight and know that it's an investment in kind of making it rain leads down the road as opposed to right now uh, can actually work. So have you, I mean, that, that, that seems really potent. Is that something that you've rolled out in various formats time and time again with success or do you keep coming back to that? Yes. And I think especially sort of in this moment, we find ourselves in, you know, um, you know, in early April 2020, as we're dealing with the (laughs) rise of the, you know, this, this pandemic. Um, And I did a blog post a couple of weeks ago, as as we started to see, you know, cities shut down, you know, the questioning, you know, you know, how do you keep selling in this environment? Um, how do you, and, and and the question even came up, like, is it ethical to sell in this environment? Like you have to be you have to be aware of what's going on. You have to acknowledge that in a sales call, but you also need to find out, like, do I have something of value right now to offer someone? And so I, I think this is a moment and I'm, I'm really excited to hear so many, you know, C- CMOs in particular lean into this, that this is a time to invest in your brand. This is a time to invest in the reputation and trust and credibility you have in the market. Um, there are certain businesses that just aren't going to be able to sell right now. Um, I've intentionally talked about like with some clients and we've even seen this as a, you know, evidence in our own business. There's a big difference between a, a sales pipeline drying up and a sales pipeline freezing solid. And I think that what I've seen most evidence of right now is, is not demand going away, just demand pausing as people sort of recalibrate around the, you know, what we're dealing with right now. So how do you sell into that? Well, I think you, you, you're, you be generous. You offer whatever you can. You call your prospects not to pitch, but to say, are you okay? Are you healthy? Do you need anything? Like, how are you coping through this? Um, I've seen companies, you know, throw open like Dreambox up here in Seattle. It's a, it's a tool that um, they sell into school districts that does like math, you know, sort of math program for 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 elementary students. It's a it's a product they sell to school districts and occasionally to small private schools, and they have a 15 day trial for. Um, for curriculum directors and teachers if they want to try it out. A couple of weeks ago, they said, well, screw it. We're just going to make it available for 90 days for free for anyone that wants to sign up. 
you know, and we'll record a couple tutorials to make it easy for parents to figure out how to get it going. Did they create a product for parents? No. Is it a little clunky to get set up if you're not a school? Yes. But they just said, screw it. The gates are open. People need this right now if you got kids at home. So I, so I think the response you have now, even if it's not immediate revenue driving, you those are the companies that are going to come out of this stronger. Those are the companies that we're going to have loyalty and preference for uh, coming out of this. That makes a ton of sense. Are, are there any companies in particular? Um, I, I think this this school software one was a great example, but any other companies that you think are doing a really fantastic job as an example, if, if an executive was trying to kind of piece together, okay, how can I turn inward and figure out what, what I could do with my own product to be generous and give back? Are there other examples out there that you've seen that you thought were remarkable? Well, it's not just products. Uh, and I think it's just, sometimes it's just, it's ideas. Um, you know, there's a company called Chorus, Chorus.ai. Um, it's a, it's a sales, it's a sales coaching um, call monitoring software system. They are doing a daily standup that, um, they initially were starting to do for their employees, and then they basically said, screw it, we're going to invite anybody. Anyone that wants to join can join. And so every day there's a different topic. There's sort of a just – it's a, some data on where the market's going. It's data they are able to pull out of their own sort of customer database. It's a motivational sort of here's a you know reason to be positive for today kind of a thing. Um, and they just said, we're just going to do it every day for a while, right? And if we get 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, we don't care. Like we're just – we're going to try to do our part to, to provide some value here. I've seen a bunch of companies – um, you know, create things like, you know, there's a, there's a CMO coffee talk on Friday mornings where B2B CMOs, it's like eight o'clock Eastern time, eight o'clock Pacific time, B2B CMOs, just get on the line and just talk. And, you know, sometimes there's a loose agenda. Sometimes people bring up questions. Um, sometimes people just sit there and just, <laughs> um, just, you know, commiserate after a long week, you know, with a cup of coffee. Um, but I, you know, I think, you know, when you can just say, listen, I'm not going to focus on selling, I'm going to focus on giving like that works in a lot of scenarios. But again, back to sort of understanding who your audience is, what they care about, what they're working on right now, what they're pivoting into, where can you be useful? As a B2B company, to use the language of a lot of governments right now, how do you become an essential service? How are you a company in an organization, service provider, product sell, whatever, how are you something that your customers can't live without? Um, it's worth thinking about that answer because if you're going to try to sell, if you're going to try to sort of be proactive in marketing and selling today, you better have a good answer to that question. Absolutely. So, um, I, I, all right, we're going to go back to the examples of things that didn't work or that, that didn't work as, as planned as kind of a, a, almost some levity and, and just, encouraging folks to continue to test and try things and not be afraid to, to go out on a limb. I'd imagine at various points in your career, you've come up with some fantastic campaign ideas that went out on a limb and totally bombed. Are there any that come to mind that are, that are like funny, almost wartime stories, if we could call them that, of, uh, of things you've tried that didn't work out the way you thought they would? Boy, um, there's there's a lot. I'm just even pausing just because it's like, where do you start on those? Yeah, you know, the path <laughs> yeah. is, I mean, I think, you know, in the right environment, you know, you realize the path to success is littered with failure, um, just, you know, of trying new things. And, and I think, you know, it's easy in any given market to look out and say, OK, you know, here's a company that I think was really tone deaf and how they reacted to, to the current pandemic. Or here's a company that seems like they're, um, you know, they're uh, 
you know, being a little opportunistic. Um, I would say we might have avoided maybe a little minor misstep this morning. Like we usually do some kind of a fun April Fool's Day message, you know, our blog post kind of, you know, kind of something that's kind of funny on April Fool's Day. Um, we decided after thinking about it long and hard that not to do it today. And I've seen a couple examples of companies that have gone ahead and done it anyway. And I'm just, I just look at it and think like, Ugh, there's people dying. There's, you know, we're setting up hospitals in Central Park. Um, that just might not be the right time. And I'm all for being aggressive and all for testing new ideas and all for like getting things out there. But I think also, so you read the mood of your audience, sometimes being conservative is better. And look, hindsight is always better. <laughs> you know, I was pretty gung ho yesterday morning about something I thought was going to be pretty mild for an April fool's content piece. And uh, I'm pretty glad we didn't do it. Yeah. It's smart. Sometimes that, uh, that, uh, that extra level of awareness and just taking, taking a second to pause really makes all the difference. Um, I'm curious, this is, this is one of my favorite segments of the, of the show, which is you know, everyone has those people in their lives and in their career in, in this case, who have either been kind of a source for inspiration or a source for, mentorship or just folks that you keep coming back to either the work that they're doing or their advice that they're sharing. And I'm curious if you could shout out to a couple of those people who have, who have filled that role in your career and in your life um, as it pertains to growth and marketing and sales and all the wonderful work you've ultimately produced yourself. Well, there's a couple of people. I mean, there's, there's, there are literally countless people that I could go on about. I think a couple of people in particular, like my parents, um, you know, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. My family's all from the Midwest. Um, you know, my my parents pop, pop, taught me a combination of humble hard work and empathy. I think just, you know, putting your hard hat on every day, um, you know, checking your ego at the door and just getting work done um, and being empathetic about other people, like thinking about other people's situation, asking about other people. Um, and then, you know, the other person, I guess I, I usually call it is Don Gregory, who's become a good friend. Um, he's our research partner. I've been working with him for 25 years uh, for, through various efforts. And he's, he's, he's been a great mentor to me. And I think from early on, he really taught me not just the theory, but also what it looks like to be a servant leader, what it looks like to be someone who is, is, is constantly thinking about how to provide and give value with integrity, oftentimes without expecting anything in return. And that how by doing that, you end up getting more business and getting more coming back your way because of the way people feel like they've been treated. Um, so those are a couple people that I'd certainly are on top of the list for me. Sure. And, and let's flip it around again. And uh, being that you are now one of these kind of sage experienced uh, voices in, and, and you have been now for some time in, in marketing and sales, uh, are there any younger people who are kind of rising up and, and you see a ton of potential in that you're excited to kind of follow along with their careers that you're seeing out into the B2B marketing world or sales world um, who, who you're especially excited about? Um, there's a lot of people. Um, I think, um, I think about people like Morgan Ingram who works at the J, you know, John Barrows sales training company. I'm just so impressed with his, with his, um, with his hustle, with his content, with his smarts, with his instincts. Um, Dave Gerhardt, who was at, um, he was at HubSpot. He was re recently at Drift. He's at Privy now. Um, just the volume and quality of content he provides to the market right now is phenomenal. Uh, Max Altschuler, who created Sales Hacker, he's at Outreach now. Um, just 
in terms of producing good content, building interesting businesses, the fact he can balance all that while having a wife and son and young baby. I don't know how he does it. Um, but there's just a ton of people that, and, and, and those are people that I think maybe have more sort of public visibility just because they have sort of created a little bit of a brand for themselves and they publish a lot of outbound content. Um, but you know, then for every one of those, there's five or six people that you would none of us would have heard of that are just, that are, that are hustling on their own, that are not focused on building a brand name, but are focused on what's important to them, their family, their career, um, helping others around them. Um, you know, I think that, you know, for me, I, I started like almost 12 years ago, I started this business just with a you know, laptop and a bus pass. Like there was no, and it's still not, I mean, there's no, there was no intention to be a brand. There's no, there's no, you know, I, I, I never use the word thought leader or influencer or anything like that. Like if that happens and if that's, if that, if that is true, then great. My job is not to be a thought leader. My job is just to create value. Like I think every day about like, what do what, what am I thinking about that I can translate into some piece of content that can help someone else. Um, and I think, you know, I think about the people I follow that seem to have a similar focus, people like Seth Godin and others that just, they just, they just put their hard hat on every day and churn out good content. Um, I think about people like Morgan and Dave and Max. I mean, they're, they're in that boat of just giving. Well, this has been fantastic, Matt. I think there are so many great takeaways um, for whether it's a CEO or a head of marketing, head of sales, listening to this, both strategic and actionable things that they can walk away from this today and and really focus on with their teams and, and ask themselves some of these kind of hard but important questions in a time where it really, really matters that they're that they're prioritizing those questions. So thank you again for taking the time to be on the show and uh, and sharing this wisdom with us. Really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. All right. And we'll stay on for a second just to make sure that this thing... 